Hello, fellow dirt bikers and friends. Welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, co-hosted by me, Corndog, and my good buddy, Eric. We want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. On the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, we talk dirt bikes. (laughs) Yes, dirt bikes. We talk about our experiences, different races, different organizations, bikes, gear, and always try to get a fun and exciting guest to join in with us. Now, grab a drink, kick your feet up, lean back, hold on, because here we go. Here's Corndog and Eric. All right, guys, here we are. I'm Corndog, and I'm joined here with my buddy Eric, here live in Panaca on May... What is the date today? May 6th. May 6th, 2020. Live in studio to be broadcasted later. <laughs> uh, we're joined with our guest of the week, the world famous Dave Pearson. How you doing, Dave? Good. Glad to be on the show. All Happy right. to have you, man. Yeah, pretty excited. So before we get going, uh, if anybody has any comments or anything on this show or any other show... Drop us an email at thedesertdirtbiker at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on Facebook, KD Eric, and also Instagram, The Desert Dirt Biker. Um, let's just jump right into to Dave. I know we have a bunch of questions that was emailed, message, text to me and Eric throughout the week when since we uh Announced that you were going to be our guest last week when we had Kellen on. And we'll go through our questions and some of those questions throughout the show. But the first one, you got to get up and sing for us. It's crazy how many people told me to get that for you to sing us a song. I'm going to do that <laughs> last on the show. Okay. I'm well, let- save my singing voice for the stories. Okay. So, I guess... Dave Pearson, who are you? Where are you from? What what tell us about Dave Pearson as a kid growing up? Your history. So I was born in Las Vegas and uh we lived there till nineteen ninety seven. Then we uh moved to Panaca and I actually stayed with Eric and his brothers and his dad at his house for a couple weeks. Hmm. While my parents were transitioning, moving from Vegas to Panaca. And yeah, I've uh, been back and forth from Vegas to Panaca, but I'm really happy to be back here in Panaca and living full-time up here. So awesome. yeah, Dave and I, you know, we went to high school together. Um, but my first memory of Dave, he was on an, I think he was on an 80, or it might have been an 80 or 85cc two-stroke. And it was a race in Caliani. Um, and I met him through my cousin, Drew Phillips. Drew kind of knew who Dave was. And, and uh, we met him after that race, kind of hung out a little bit. And then, yeah, a little bit further into it, we kind of became friends. And, and, yeah, the rest is history. Well, how did the whole thing happen? How you guys, when you moved here, how did you know them to live with them or... I'm not sure. I don't know how. My parents were kind of winging it. Uh, I lived up the ranch for... So every year, growing up, we would... When we were living in Las Vegas, my dad would always stay there and work during the week every summer. 
he would work during the week and then every Friday night he'd drive up to our ranch, which is an hour north of Pioch. Mm -hmm. And we've always had a ranch out there. And so my mom was like, I would think I was like maybe nine or 10. My mom was like, hey, we're gonna start hanging out at the ranch during the summers. Could we have a little cabin out there and a little reservoir? And so yeah, every summer we'd head on out to the ranch and we'd live out there and we had a little fishing pond out there. We'd always go fishing and I remember uh, one of my first summers out there, I was on, I had a little PW50 <laughs> and like it had just got, like Russ had just moved to 65s or 60s at that time. And so, hey Dave, here's this little PW50. Um, we're gonna head out to the ranch. You're gonna be out here for the summer. You may as well keep it out here. Okay, cool. Just a little kid, I'm sure I was, Five, maybe six. Were you little once? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, I used to be little. It's crazy. <laughs> so you you mentioned Russ or whoever, that's your cousin. The Pearsons pretty the whole family's fast. Your dad, your uncle, which is Keith and Lee, right? Yeah. They both raced in the beginning. So you come from a pretty strong line and I know I don't know you guys very well, a lot more in the last few years. But I've always heard it's something in the water, something out at the ranch that makes the Pearsons who they are. Is there something in your water? No, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's something in the water. Everybody <clears throat> says that. They said, uh, "Hey, we're gonna send our kid up to the ranch for a few weeks to drink your water and ride with your kids, <laughs> and I think you'll come back fast." Right. But you know, I think it was just uh, Lee and Keith always raced, and so us kids grew up going to the races and watching them race. And we just kind of, whenever we got old enough to get a bike, they'd get us bikes. And pretty soon we were just riding around having fun. And pretty soon we were going to races and starting to do a little better. And pretty soon we were 50 experts instead of 50 novices, you know, and just yeah. moved on up the rankings from there. Well, and, and Lee and Keith, they weren't just racers, but they were successful in their day too, right? And so did a, I think a lot of that race experience that they had and that they had developed got passed down through the through the years and at a young age you guys learned you know the techniques and the things that your dad and uncle were you know doing right yeah yeah pretty much i mean we kind of watched them grow up grew up racing and yeah just started learning mistakes and learning from your mistakes and right. starting to get a little better and it was fun so probably one of my very first, I don't even remember this, but one of the first times I rode my PW50, we were out on the dry lake, Eldorado Dry Lake, heading towards Searchlight from Boulder City, and they had a, you know, my dad's truck, and they had a little trailer they pulled behind it. Well, this was like my very first ride ever, you know. You hear about kids getting on bikes and just locking up and <laughs> holding them wide open. Yep. Those little PWs. You hold those things wide open, they get up to like 25, 30, 35 miles an hour. They're <laughs> oh, yeah. dangerous. Yeah, they're like they have no bottom end, but you get railing and you're winging it. So anyway, I don't remember this, but my dad and Lee tell me the story. So I, all right, just take it easy, Dave. You know, just go out there and do a little loop and come back. Well, I got lock throttle, little kid, <laughs> hairball on it. They said I did like a quarter mile circle, just like, just fast as that thing yes, would go. as fast as that <laughs> And headed straight back towards the truck and the trailer as fast as that thing would go on a dry lake bed, which is probably 30, I would guess, 30. Anyway, 
uh, Lee tells a story how he saw what was happening and came over, like, went 10 feet in front of the trailer and clotheslined me off the bike. And my bike cartwheeled in the trailer. What a duck. Wow. I don't even remember it, but that's the story they tell me. That really happened, so. Yeah, well, that's. A little sketchy. <clears throat> that's what Dave and I were talking about, the importance of teaching your first, your new rider the, you know, how, to how, to, how to stop. One of yeah. your very first things. and Yeah, I mean, that happened to one of my daughters, too. They took off and got whiskey throttled and didn't know how to shut it down and ran into a fence. And yeah. Anyway, yeah, good times. Yep. Uh, so you started out racing Moran. How old were you when you did your first race? Uh, I think I was probably five. Um, for some reason, when we were young, like four, five, six, we did a lot of BMX. So I actually raced BMX bikes before I started racing motorcycles. And we did BMX for a little while, you know, four or five. I guess my first race, I was probably five or six. Um, I think my first race was up in Pioch. I don't know what club was putting on the race, but it was a race up in Pioch. And I don't even remember how I did or anything. I just remember, dude, I'm racing. About what year was that, you think? It was probably 1988, I would guess, around there. I was born in 83, so probably 88, close to there. Yeah. Maybe, probably probably maybe Bushwhackers, maybe? I don't think the Bushwhackers were yeah, around. I'm not sure. I don't know. It was kind of before I came around, too. Could have been the Ground Shakers, but I don't think they were ever up I that way. I think it was me, I don't know. I forget who huh. won the race. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah. Is that when they started right there in town at Pioch, or was it past Pioch and the Gravel Pit? Um, or you don't remember? No, I think it was like halfway between Pioch and the Gravel Pit. I don't quite remember, but it was, wasn't was a smooth 50 track. It was rocks and bushes <laughs> and gnarly. Now what's made you fast now? That yeah. and the water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your first bike was a PW50. Uh, what was your transition from there? I mean, did you go to 65s and then into 80s, or did you just jump up to an 80? Or what? Uh, My transitions was pretty much Russ's hand-me-downs, Yeah, it seemed like. Uh, I, got, I think I got Russ's PW50. But then he was riding a KX60, and he jumped from a KX60 to a KTM 80, and I got his 60. So I think, I think I would have to look at the Moran records, but I think I won a championship in the 50cc class and one in the 60 class. And then I think I won one in, one in each, one in the 80 class and one in the 250 class. I don't think I ever got an open number one plate, though. Really? But yeah, so my second bike was a KX60. And of course, it was Russ's hand me down, but it was a good running bike, and I, I learned a lot of learned to shift on it. I think that one of the first times I rode it, I blew it up. I rode it from my grandma's house to Lee's house, which is three miles. And I says, "Hey, just remember to shift, you know." Oh no, first gear. Hey, yep. Why isn't this thing going very fast? Wide open. Oh, blew up. <laughs> So, yeah, that was, uh, my second bike was a KX60, and then I went, uh, when I jumped up to the 80cc class, I got a Suzuki 80 from, actually, Brad Lloyd, it was Brad Lloyd's old bike. Hmm. Yeah. Got a Suzuki 80 and rode that for a little bit, um, and then when I stepped to the amateur, amateur, I think my dad bought me a Yamaha that was, um, some kid from California, a motocrosser kid, had 
kind of uh-huh. tinted up, and it was pretty fast. Pretty clean, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty clean. It was it was a cool bike to get. Purple graphics. <laughs> I mean, it was probably ninety four, maybe ninety five. Huh. Purple graphics were in, dude. And yeah. Oh we yeah. Styled it. Yeah, you were styling. Yeah, you were styling. The Yamaha with white plastics and purple graphics, a purple seat. Yeah, you were doing it. You were, you were dialed top in. Notch. Yeah. yeah. Cool. The fluorescent gear and <laughs> yeah. So I rode eighties. I was actually listening to Kellen's podcast last week, and I had a story to tell about me and Kellen. So it brought back a lot of memories racing against Robert Marshall, Kellen, Monty Montague, and anyway, uh, one race it was uh, Logandale. They were putting on a race there at the fairgrounds, ran race, and they had they had built this jump, and <laughs> whoever jumped the furthest. Got like seventy five dollars for the mini class, so it, was, it it wasn't in the race. You just had a no. It was in the race. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was in the race. It was like right before the kind of like a whole like shot. Yeah, like, check, but it's yeah the they made it for this jump a berm, check. and then you went as fast as you could for you know thirty forty yards, and you just a single Sell it. Just, just a single <laughs> no landing. <laughs> well, anyway, to make a long story short. I was racing, we were in the expert class, and Robert Marshall and Kellen and me and a couple others. Anyway, we were racing, Kellen and Robert, uh, they missed the course markings. They were headed like on the big bike loop or something. Anyway, there's no ribbon. I'm like, man, that taught me, you know, there's no ribbon, turn around. So I turned around and I found the course. I ended up cruising to win that day. Well, I was sitting at the finish line, I'd already finished. Like, dude, I had got the furthest stroke. <laughs> I was like, I got this. Got was paid. 75 bucks, dude. <laughs> yeah. I'm making money today. Yeah, Kellen comes around on his, like, second lap maybe, you know. I think we did four. And he was on a second because him and Robert got lost. Anyway, he comes, and I think he had been racing a little motocross, maybe Loretta Lenz or something. He hit that jump, yeah, 10 feet further than Sailed me. Sailed it. Huh? <laughs> lost the 75 bucks to Kellen. Dang, man. <laughs> That's a good story. Oh. Good times. Um, so you chased Moran for quite a few years when you were younger. What was your first race away from Moran? What, 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 where did you go? You know, I think my uh, transition from just Moran races to a little bigger <coughs> spectrum, I guess you can call it, or a little bigger play, playing field was... Uh, in 96 or 97, Brian Folks asked me if I would race Best in the Desert with him. And I had done a couple races, like I think I did Silver State with uh, Brian Freeman and Nate, Nate Pearson. I think it started in Mesquite, ended in Alamo or something like that. Anyway, I raced with them, did pretty good. And Brian had asked me, hey, can you, you want to race Best in the Desert with me? I was like, all right, yeah, that sounds good. Well, of course, Brian, this is Casey's son, so we didn't have to pay any entry fees. <laughs> Brian prepped the bike. And it's like all I had to do was show up with my gear. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll race with you. So I think the very first race that me and him raced was 1998 Vegas Reno. I was, I was 15, almost turning 16. And I raced with him, and we ended up getting fourth overall and first 250 Pro. Nice. But then from there, like, that was back when, like, Pro Circuit would show up. <coughs> You know, Bones, Dave Chase, all those guys would show up to the, those races during those days. And uh, Pro Circuit, they saw how good we finished. They said, hey, you know, would you guys like to start 
riding for us and because they were helping Nick and Russ at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, well, who's who's this kid? Well, he's my cousin, David. But they had already, it's kind of like Nick and Russ had already paved the way for the Pearson name and we were, you know, doing pretty good. So whenever sponsors would already know who I was really before I had a chance to go look for sponsors like mm-hmm. hey if you give Arike helmets a call they said they'd help you out with helmets and I think they sponsored me for like t- 10 or 12 years I never wore a different kind of helmet besides an Arike helmet when I raced my pro- professional career nice yeah that's so, awesome yeah they were really good to you yeah they were. <clears throat> yeah so I got ready to switch from 80s up to big bikes my my dad is like we're not doing the 125 scene he says those things break down too much says you're already big enough for a 250 so at that time nick and russ were getting help from ktm and we'd be able to buy the magazine bikes which i don't know if all you listeners know but a magazine bike is basically for example ktm gives dirt rider magazine you know two of each model to test they go out there and put maybe pro tapers on there and fmf pipe or something they go test it to see what the difference is between stock and a little little bit of modification. And so we'd get uh, magazine bikes, which were pretty much brand new mm-hmm. in our eyes, you know, mm-hmm. for three yeah. grand back in the old days. Yeah. That was like a steal. Couldn't, you couldn't beat it. You yeah. couldn't beat it, yeah. So my dad would always buy me magazine bikes at the beginning. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how my big bike career started. And was your first big bike, what was it, a Yamaha? Or uh, were you it, on a KTM? No, it was, it was, a, it was a KTM at first. Okay. It was a 1996 KTM 250. First year they went orange. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So that was my first bike. I rode KTMs for like one or two years. I, I raced with Brian. And then after I got in a race with Brian, uh, Dave Hamill was going to start a DH1 race team. This was after uh, Danny had passed away. He started a race team and he asked me if I wanted to join his race team. I think that was the first year he was starting the work series also. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hey, I want to put a team together. And ended up, the Rich Caselli was kind of involved in the team. And uh, they had like four or five riders. It was myself, Matt Gosnell, Kirk Caselli, Justin Soule was on minis. And there was uh, there was one other person, I forget who it was, a kid from, kid from Reno. Um, but yeah, that, that little... That little race team actually created some pretty good riders. That's Bob, a gnarly list of dudes. Yeah. Bobby Harrison yeah. raced for him uh, yeah. on the works in the works series on Dave's team. And cool. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Right on. So, what else did you around that same time frame? You're fifteen, fifteen and a half. What what other races in that era were you doing? Um. I was mainly still doing Moran races and starting to do Heron Hounds and starting to do a lot of Best in Desert races. We hadn't uh, hadn't quite gone and started the six-day enduro ding thing yet, uh, but Nick and Russ were starting to do the international six-day enduro, so it was starting to get a little more popular for Americans to try to go over there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it was... I think it was 2000, 2000 or 2001, I did my first international six-day enduro. It was in Spain, and we had done the Idaho City Qualifier a few times, 
So we kind of knew, you know, the whole deal. But like the Idaho City qualifier, the Idaho City uh, ISD qualifier, it's like you go up there. This is my, one of my experiences. I went up there, and you have to have a working headlight and taillight. Well, Yamaha <laughs> two strokes, you can't really rig it up to the motor unless you recoil the ignition for lighting. And we weren't going to do that. So we put right. a headlight and taillight on there, and we hooked it up to a DeWalt battery in my airbox. <laughs> <laughs> Pearson so, style. So we go up to, uh, <laughs> and it's supposed to be all ran off your bike. So we go up there to tech inspection. They said, all right, um, turn your headlight and taillight on. I just flip the switch. Ding! Lights up. And they're like, sweet. They're like, dude, it has to be ran off your bike. It can't be ran off your battery. Oh, no. He says, you need to go back to your truck, get a 12-pack of beer, Come back here at 5.50 because it closed at 6. Bring a 12-pack of beer. Start your bike first. And then turn on your headlights. And you're good to go. So sure enough, <laughs> dude, we went, to the, we went to the gas station. 12-pack of Budweiser or whatever it was. Toted it up there. All right, you're going to try this again, huh? Yeah. All right, start your bike and turn your headlights on. You know, yeah, yeah. flip the switch. Lights come Everything's on. good. You're good to go. Yeah, good to go. You're in. So, no, yeah, that was a lot different than actual going to six days because I had to be around your bike out of there. So, right. it was a uh, my but, first ISD was a fun, it was a really good adventure. Um, I think me and Nick and Russ and the Garahans, um, uh, there was just a mess of people that we all knew that went over there. Destry was over there, and it ended up being a really fun time. Um, I ended up getting a gold medal that year. And where was it at? It was in it was in Spain. Okay. It was in Spain. I forget what the town was called, but it was over in Spain. Cool. Yeah. So with all that, all the years you went there, you went five times to ISDE. Yeah, I went five times total from and 2000 to 2006. You got four golds and one silver, right? Yep. Cool. Uh, do they give you like a big <clears throat> gold medal, like? The Olympics, or what, what do they look like? Um, kind of, yeah. It's, it's a lot like Eric's uh, Baja 1000 finishers. and the, It goes around your neck, and there's a little... It's not real gold, obviously, but it says... Uh, it's it's in Europe writing, so it kind of says... You can understand a little bit. You know, it says International Six-Day Enduro, but it's all written in either Europe, or I don't know what kind of writing it is, but it's not American. Hmm. But it's pretty cool to have them... Portuguese or Spanish. Have them hang on the wall, and... That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's really neat. So when did you get on to a KX500? This is coming from Trent Sandoval. Uh, how old were you when you started racing a KX500? So this ties into the story pretty good because um, I rode Yamaha 2000 and 2001 and 2002. But then I talked to Kawasaki and they said, yeah, we're looking for a 250 rider, would you like to come start riding with us? And They knew I was a little bigger kid at that time still, and they were like, well, here's a 500. Uh, we'd like you to do Heron Hounds and the Best Nether Series, other than some select events. So at this time, were you, what, what, was your, what did your support package look like? Were you getting paid, or was it bikes and support, or what? So when I rode for Dave Hamill, it was kind of, it was kind of just support. Basically, it helped you get to the race, 
helped you with your entry fees, helped you, had a parts account, and usually two or three bikes that you usually turn back at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And then he would sell them or whatever. Team, team bikes. <laughs> team bikes, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it was 2003. I rode for Kawasaki 2003, 4, and 5 for three years. And yeah, I rode their KX500. Um, probably one of my first Heron Hounds that I remember really good on the 500 was actually the Heron Hound that Kellen was talking about, how they wanted him to go race a Heron Hound. And Destry got first on the 500, Kellen got second, and I actually got third at that race. Mm-hmm. It was a race down in Southern California, and that was one of my first races on a 500. It was like Kellen had like switched over to Price Race, and I had switched over to like Team <clears throat> Green. And I had Team Green support, and he had uh, Jeff Price racing support. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, was kind of gnarly because that same year was the Avi race that he was talking about. And me and him were the only ones on 500s at that race. Wow. <laughs> and I was, I was running like, I think I was running fourth. Um, it was, man, I forget who was leading. I think, I want to say, might have been Kurt, and then Kellen, and then Kudrowski, then me, I think. But I ran out of the gas, and I, I was out in the back section. I was done after that. Yeah. I couldn't get any Nobody gas. Nobody coming for no, you. No, I couldn't yeah. get any gas. By the time I got going, I was like, I finished 12th or 14th, and may as well not even have showed up. But yeah, uh, my Team Green deal, basically, you made a little money. Um, you got paid to go to every race. So like every race, they'd give you about 800 or 1000 bucks to go to it. That'd pay all your expenses, and normally... Yeah put 100 or 200 bucks in your pocket you know depending on if you stayed in the junkie motel or the decent motel basically <laughs> right. you know and then the, the win bonuses were pretty good at that time and yeah you, you're making enough to survive to where pops wasn't having to you know help you put pay for bill. everything yeah. put the bill yeah but yeah that was that was back in uh 2000 2003 4 and 5 i rode for them so cool yeah. So, do you remember your first win on a big bike? I do. On two fifty, where was that? I do. It was in Utah, and it was on a five hundred. What series was that? It was a Heron Hound. Okay. It was a Heron Hound. It was, I think it was a Sage Riders race, and it was a little. It had rained a little bit that day. During the race, it rained a little bit. And Perfect. About the only thing that I really remember visible about that race besides the finish line is. I was like, I was like probably 10 miles before the finish and I had caught up and passed Destry and I don't know if I was battling with Russ, but I was like second or third off the start and I picked my way and passed everybody. I was like, you know, going good good through the trees. Like, yeah, I am leading this thing, dude. Hopped on a graded road, you know, just, it was a graded road, hammered down, no dust. And I looked behind me to see if there was somebody behind me that was close to where I was going to be pressured. Right. I remember I looked back behind me, and sometimes when they grade a dirt road, they drag a rock for a little while. It catches between the dirt and their blade. Yeah. And then they pop over it. Yeah. Gosh dang, I'm going down this road wide open as fast as my bike will go. Looking back to see if anybody's real close behind me. I hit that where they had drugged the rock. I hit that and never even saw it. All of a sudden, I was riding the front tire <laughs> on a graded road going like 80, oh. probably going like 80. 
rode the front tire for a little while and saved it, didn't crash. But I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, I almost threw this dog away. Yeah. I almost threw this whole thing in the garbage. And anyway, it rained a little bit, so I had my goggles still and was going through the trees. So about two or three miles before finish, I lost my goggles. But yeah, I ended up winning that race that day. And I think that was maybe 2003. It was probably my first, my first one on a big bike. Awesome. So yeah, it was fun. That was on a Yamaha? No, it was on a KX500. KX500. Yeah. Wow. I have another question from Trent <laughs> Sandoval. How do you ride whoops so fast sitting down? KX500, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I talk about the KX500 like my dad and Uncle Lee used to talk about the old Huskies. They used to say there was no bike out there that was stable as the Huskies were. You know, the Suzuki's were junk, Yamaha's were junk, just because the Husky was a little bit longer, and like, to corner that bike, they said you literally had to slam on the brakes, slide the bike sideways, point it where you wanted to go, and get back on the gas. And that's a little bit like how the KX500s were. Um, but, yeah, um, the seat on a KX500, there's about, it's about, it's really soft. It's a soft seat if you ever sat on one. It's literally like sitting on a couch. Pretty thick and wide. Pretty, yeah, pretty thick and wide, and it had a lot of foam on it. And I don't know, it's it's kind of my riding style on the five hundreds and throughout my career was just a little different than some other people's were, you know, because I was always two thirty or two forty or two fifty, and everybody else was like one sixty, one seventy, one eighty. So I kind of had a different riding style than everybody else did, but yeah, is the old five hundred man. It would it wouldn't ever buck you. It would just like, they would tell stories about how Danny Hamill would go so fast on these 500s. And then I got one that was built and started racing 500s. It's like, holy cow. That's how you can see how it happened. I could see yeah. how he could, go, he could be so fast and so dominant like he was. Yeah. You know, from, from after riding those bikes, they were fast. They had a lot more usable power, I'd say, than like a CR500 did. Um, a lot of people went really fast on the CR500. Dustin Hedman. If you ask any Utah guy, they say, man, he was the if dude. you saw him at the Knolls, you would not believe it until you saw it, you know? Yeah. He was he was way fast in the whoops, and he had a riding style. He could, And he had a CR500, and he was phenomenal. He had suspension dialed in. But, yeah, the KX500s were just, man, they were just, if, if you hit something, you usually weren't going to crash. You know, you could you could hit it and it would deflect. You weren't going to go over the bars. It wouldn't. Normally, it wouldn't ever cart you. They didn't really the come up over the yeah over no. the bars. Hmm. Huh. So, how old were you when you got on the KX five hundred? Um, I think I was twenty. Twenty. Yeah, so two thousand three. I was. We I was, had just graduated. We graduated in 01. Dave and I went to high school together. Yep. Kind of grew up playing sports, a little bit of football, um, and then yeah, I mean, he went on to you know his full career in in racing, but. So yeah, probably twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was about twenty twenty one. So you're kind of a big boy now, not fat, but just a big dude. How how t- how tall are you? I'm six two. Six two. So what were you? You told us earlier in the show that you used to be little. When did you hit that growth spurt? To uh, about three and a half. <laughs> four. <laughs> four. I mean, I literally went from being 13 years old and riding 80 cc motorcycles to like, you know, weighing maybe 180 to like over summer, 
I was like up to 220. My dad's like, we're not getting a 125 for you. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You guys probably don't know this, or some of you might, but Dave was a heck of a lineman in football. Oh, you, sure. you just had to line him up and give the ball to the fullback behind Dave, and it was they'd go for a ways. Dave could push around about anybody. So. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, good times. So how did you – and this question comes from Jim Herrero – how did you handle being a bigger guy in a sport with a lot of petite riders? Was it was there any challenge or you just it was normal to you? Uh wasn't really any challenge, I would say. Um That being said, I always really enjoyed really fast bikes. You know, bikes that whether it was a two-stroke or four-stroke, I really enjoyed racing bikes that were fast that were hard to hang on to that other guys would ride and they'd be like you know, it's too much. thinking about putting a flywheel on this bike or different silencer or something. It was always it was always fun to ride really fast bikes. I don't know if it was a mental mental game or what, but yeah, every time it was weird because every time we'd do a, a speed test or anything like that, my numbers my numbers like on top end would be just the same or even higher than like Robbie Bell or mm-hmm. something like that, just because of wheel spin. Um, usually. You know, if your bike gets clocked at 100 miles an hour, usually your wheel spin is 103 or 104. So sometimes... So it's traction there wouldn't, there, wouldn't be, there wouldn't be as much wheel spin with me as there was with the skinnier guys. So my top speeds were usually right there or higher. So yeah. It was, it was cool. Yeah. And, and while we read that question from Jim, he also wanted to thank you for helping out the young riders at the Wild Bunch campouts. And he still remembers uh, you helping them all, including him, with tips in Laughlin. He was like 10 or 15 years old. Anyway, he wanted to thank you. Yeah. we uh, For a couple of years, we were going down to Laughlin every year, I think. I think it was between Thanksgiving and Christmas or New Year's, something like that. And Dave Wilson and Gina Wilson had asked me and Russ and Nick if we'd come down and, and do a little clinic just for the Wild Bunchers. So hmm. we did that, a, I think, a couple of years. And that was fun. It's always fun racing That's down in cool. and it was fun going down there and helping out all those guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Dave's done some clinics here in Panaka as well, you know, and I know people just really thrive off that. They love it, you know, and, and Dave's a wealth of knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. I've learned a lot in my time riding with Dave and watching him and getting to go to different races with him. So, very cool. <laughs> I was just reading another question for Blake Monk. <laughs> Did you really stop for a sandwich at an SNDR race a few years back? Story has it you stopped for a sandwich, Dave. And then came back and overall the race. Is there truth <laughs> to that? Um, he said there had to have been Wheaties or something in your, your sandwich. There might have been some truth to that. <laughs> There's a possibility. <laughs> but it... I think I was racing against Curtis Bradley and a couple other kids. So like Russ or Russ or none of them were there. So yeah, it, I stopped in the pits for a little while. They've had a healthy lead. I would say, yeah. <laughs> I think I had a flat tire. They had to change my tire, I think. And of course, I didn't have a spare and I wasn't running any mooses. So yeah, maybe the legend, if the legend has it, Usually legend isn't wrong. 
All right, so we've raced Moran, we've raced Heron Hound, a little bit of Utah, uh, the ISDE, and then there's Ball. So let's talk to Rhino Rally real quick. Okay. So you raced the Rhino Rally a couple times. Did you ever win over there? Yeah, I won the Rhino Rally overall, I think, two times, I think. I have two trophies anyway. So. <laughs> so yeah, probably. yeah, probably two times, I think, I would say. That's cool. safe to say that. Yeah, it was always fun going over there and racing against the Utah guys because we'd always go to the Utah Heron Hounds and we'd see those guys, you know, and we'd always talk to them. And, and who were some of the guys over there that you were battling with back then? Do you remember? Uh, TJ Hannafin was a really fast Utah rider. Rob Phillips. Rob Phillips won the Utah number one I don't know how many times. But it was always fun battling against those guys at the Utah Heron Hounds. Then to come to the Rhino Rally and be able to battle with them again, it was it was fun. Yeah. And cool. it never, it seems like I never just pulled a whole shot and pulled away and won the race. It was always I was battling with TJ or I was battling with Jared Boy from St. George. Mm-hmm. He, he raced a lot. Yeah. And, yeah, it always seemed like I was trying to pass him on the end of the first lap or the second lap. And, yeah, I ended up winning a couple of them. Cool. So it was fun. And then there's Baja. We went to Baja. So tell us about so yeah. There's <laughs> some there's some stories about Baja um, that I think our listeners want to hear. But I was asked to ask you by the Pearsons. Tell us about your first trip to Baja. What happened? So my first trip to Baja. <laughs> Dave's smiling. I was 15, year, 15 and a half actually because I had my learner's permit. And I was on a Yamaha. And I had a brand new IRC tire on the back of my bike. One of those tall ones. So that's what <coughs> my dad thought that I needed. Deep sand down Deep there. Deep sand San down Felipe. there. Yeah. Deep sand. So we were going to Takati Harris Bambles for a race. And we were getting right across the border, and my dad says, oh, crap, we got to get rid of these pistols. <laughs> so we call my buddy. I'm pretty sure we stopped at Dave Chase's house. said, hey, Dave, can we leave these guns here? We're getting right across the border, and we know they're not allowed. Yeah, that's fine. Leave them here. Okay. Well, we get close to the border, and it's like, hey, Dad, can I drive? This was like, this was like Thursday morning. Hey, Dad, can I drive? And the yeah. race was on Saturday? The race was Saturday, yeah. Uh, Saturday, I think it was like, I think the race was Sunday, actually. But we were going down there early to get set up. and So it might have been Friday morning. Let's, let's call it Friday morning. I, I can't quite remember. I think it's Friday morning. So we crossed the border. Everything's good. And we crossed it to Cotty. And you're driving. Yeah, I'm driving. And they pull us in for inspection to ask for you know, our tiles for our bikes. Stand, like standard that. inspection. Standard inspection. Yeah. Well, we, they asked for our bike titles and we show them and everything was going smooth, it seemed like. Then, then uh, Federale kind of noticed uh, bullets. A 223 shell. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, you guys need to step out of the truck. I'm like, all right, no big deal, you know. At this point. At yeah. this point, I don't know. I've okay. never been to Mexico. Sure. This 15 years time, old. Like, they... Yeah, this is a little inspection. Okay, cool. Well, they start finding like nine millimeter ammo and two twenty three ammo, like under the more, scene. Yeah, more than there should the have been. Couple holders. Yeah. Sure. And 
This was like in the morning. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. And no weapons, just bullets. No weapons, just bullets. <laughs> well, it ends up that we stay there like all day. And they're like, hey, you guys got to go to court over this little... Found some bullets. They had all collected all evidence and stuff. You guys got to go to court. All right, well, it's down here. Okay, so we drive our truck down here and go to court. Well, starts out, my dad's going to be in trouble. Did they confiscate all the bullets and everything? Oh, yeah. They what they found? The bullets. Yeah, <laughs> but they let us drive our truck from from the truck border crossing to the court. So you go to court, and now my dad's in trouble. Well, it gets out that I was driving. So the whole, everything, their whole persona changes because now I'm driving. Now it's like, okay, well, we'll put the kid in jail because he was driving, then... The dad will raise some money and we'll get some money out of these guys. It's kind of what it so seemed. Did you know that at the time though, or you, or did you just realize that after the fact? We realized that after like, the fact. Right. So looking you're just back, thinking. Looking back on it, we either would have cleaned out all the bolts out of our truck. Oh sure. But we would have just left the truck and the bikes there and just walked back across the border and just reported them stolen or whatever we had to do. But it's like, dude, two brand new Yamahas. I think I had a Yamaha 400 at that time, and a 250 or something like that. Anyway, so you were on, uh, let's see, so you weren't on Team Green yet? No, no, it was a, it was a Yamaha. Okay. I, for some reason, I had a brand new Yamaha in the back. Um, and, yeah, you guys had to go to court, so we went to, like, this dude's house. Like, went in the living room, basically. <laughs> and I got out that I was driving, now I'm in trouble, and it's getting dusk. They're like, well, we're going to take him, he's got to go to Tijuana, to the Juvie. Uh, all right, well, where's that at? Well, Trent Sandoval was with us. Trent went on a Spanish-speaking mission, so Trent was fluent in Spanish. So anyway, so they put me in the back of this Bronco with another dude that's going to the main main jail, and I'm just going to the juvie. So my dad starts following him, and they pull over and said, hey, you can't follow us. <clears throat> but these guys are armed. They're military. Oh, yeah. These are Air like 15, the Federale uh, yeah, police, right? It's, <laughs> it's like the Federale's hired... The street thugs to transport people. So, so like, I wasn't. There was no policia on my truck. It was a Bronco, unmarked. It was like OJ Simpson's Bronco, unmarked, <laughs> yes. and, just, and they were getting it. Yes, and they were getting it. So, so then they stopped at a check, and they said they told Trent, "You can't follow us. You got to figure out where the juvie is." Basically, you had to figure out where the juvie is yourself. Good so luck. So you're 15. Were you freaking out at this point, or were you just like, oh, yeah. what? No. were you just going float? No, I'm in handcuffs and everything. I, that, okay. I can't do anything. Do with an AR-15. <laughs> and you're thinking, I'm Dude, in another country. I'm like, not not speaking English. Yeah, no, I don't speak any English or Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't know where I'm going. Hopefully, they can find me. Yeah. If not, I'm going to be, you know, <laughs> locked up next to Pedro. Always here soon. <laughs> so anyway, so then they. My dad still tries to follow him, and they start running red lights and stop signs and just start yoking the throttle Mashing on it. Oh, yeah, mashing on it to where they ditched my dad. (laughs) So then all of a sudden, we're going to the juvie now. Well, Trent talks to a local, because he speaks fluent Spanish, says, hey, where's the juvenile with the henchman that are at? Blah, blah, it's over here. So as I'm actually getting checked in, I see my dad and Trent. Like, all right, at least they know where I'm at. Yeah, and this was, I think, this was Friday night. And so, I go in there and... And you're scared. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm scared of... Uh, and they, the guard says, okay, well, you have to... We have to make sure you don't have any weapons or anything on you. You gotta <laughs> strip down. Strip check. And how do you understand him if they're old. not speaking English? Yeah, no, he was... He, the guard kind of spoke chopped up, like... We have to patch you down. Like, okay. 
So here I am, fifteen and a half. So years they old. strip you down. Oh yeah, like, fifteen and a half years old down on my socks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just stand up there, yeah. you know. Fifteen H- and a half years old. Em. Yeah, exactly, dude. <laughs> so anyway, they said, okay, you're good. So put back on my clothes. Everything's, you know, this is like eleven, eleven thirty at night, and I go inside the. It's like a room, you know, thirty by, thirty by a hundred maybe, and there's bunk beds lined up, and. I go on the top of one of the bunk beds. I don't even think there's any blanket or anything. Just, just a metal gray. Yeah, just a, <laughs> pretty much a metal gray. <laughs> I think there's a piece of pile on the top. <laughs> anyway, so I'm laying down and this kid underneath me kicks my bunk. And, and I think, all right, well, I wonder what's going to happen here. What that meant. Yeah, yeah, what that meant. So he kicks my bunk again. I say to myself, you know, if he kicks my bunk again... I'm going to come unglued. <laughs> it's going to come on course. So sure enough, he kicks oh. the bunk again. And I jump off my bed and I say every swear word and cuss word I could think of and remember. No, in, oh, in English. Okay. Every single yelling, yelling. Yeah. This is 1145 at night, maybe midnight. Just yelling. You know, don't you better huh. have not do that again. <laughs> yelling as loud as I could. Then I hopped uh. back on my bunk and then I, I was... He didn't do it again. Yeah. But it was all, like, I didn't ever have any contention in there. Um, so I woke up. We went and ate breakfast. Breakfast was like rice with some cinnamon and some milk in it. And then... Uh, How many other guys were in, like, booked with you? There was I mean, probably, in that room, roughly. It was all, everybody under 16. It was a 14 and, it was a 15 and 16-year-olds. Okay. So it was like, there was maybe... 35 of us or 40 of us. So it was pretty full for that size of room. Yeah, it, it was, was packed. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. And you're a pretty big dude. Yeah. Right? So you're six six foot at that time, six six one, sometime, somewhere around there at 15 and a half. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, were you the biggest dude in Oh, yeah, I was there? the biggest so, dude in there. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one other kid that spoke English and Spanish, but he didn't speak very good English. <laughs> so this Saturday just kind of went on as normal. Like, I'm wondering... You know, when? when they're going to come get me out or how this is going to work. Um, and Were you worried about the race at that point or just no, straight up like, no. get me out of here? I knew I was going to miss the race. <laughs> Let's get the heck out of here and get back to the United <laughs> yeah. States. Get back in some freedom. So Saturday night went by, slept, woke up Sunday. And it was like a, every Sunday they do like a carnival. It's like the kids get to throw bean bags and win popcorn and stuff like that. Well, anyway, Saturday like... Around lunchtime, they're like, hey, well, another kid was like, hey, let's arm wrestle. So I'm like, all right, yeah, <laughs> arm wrestled him, beat him. Uh, yep, now another kid was like, hey, like pointed me and you. Yeah. All right, yeah. So we arm wrestled, and I beat that kid. Pretty soon there was like 10 people lined up in line one arm wrestled. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how this came about or what. But anyway, so I beat like eight or 10 kids, and then the guard comes over. And he's like kind of watching us, and he kind of like motions, like points to himself, and then points to me, and then pushes his arm down. I'm like, all right, yeah, we can arm wrestle. So I arm wrestled the guard. Literally, he wasn't he wasn't a strong guard or anything, but I beat the guard too. And then like it, this whole time, like I was actually getting along with all the kids pretty good. Like we never had any contention or anything gnarly went on, you know, that you would think that might go on in a Mexican jail, but. 
I'm sure if I was 18 or older and I was in the main jail, might have been a different. You know, it might have been a different story. Yeah. But the juvenile, the juvenile center wasn't horrible. So, anyway, Sunday about it was in the afternoon. It's probably three o'clock. Uh, they show up. My dad and Trent shows up. Said, "Hey, you're, you can go." So I went and we hopped in. We boogied across the border, and <clears throat> then my dad started telling me that he had went to the race and got $5,000 cash from the race. They wrote, he wrote a check to the race people for $5,000 cash. Uh, then he had talked to an attorney before then, and the attorney had lined up a deal to go meet with the guard. Basically, we gave the guard five grand, and we gave the attorney a $5,000 check. So it cost $10,000 to get me out. <laughs> yeah, I remember, <clears throat> I remember we were in high school at the time, and I remember the stories coming back. Oh, Dave's locked up in Mexican jail. They're trying to get him out, you know, and it was just kind of crazy to, to hear it from that side. And then, yeah, yeah cool to, to hear your side. But <laughs> yeah, I'm sure was, you were pretty stoked to get oh, out yeah. of there. Oh, yeah. I was really excited to get out. And probably That's the coolest crazy. thing, after we crossed the border, we stopped by the Glamis Indians. Done. You did miss the race, though. Oh, yeah, I did miss the race. But I stopped by Glamis Sandins, and I still had a brand new tire on my bike. Brand new IRC, a little taller IRC. Yeah. We were riding in the Sandins for a couple hours before we went home. So Nice. <laughs> yeah, so was... after that happened, I heard uh, a story that maybe your dad made a comment that, hey, you know, you've cost me a lot of money over this last year. Because that was the same year you had crashed and split yourself open, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, did he say, hey, you know, we're, we're done racing or we're done funding this thing at some point? Or, or no, was he still he kind was, of pretty supportive of he it? Was, he was always pretty supportive. He was yeah. always really supportive. We, but we had a gnarly year that year. Um, what is the show rated? Is it a PG-13 show or just a... We're good. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, nothing gnarly. But yeah, when I, when I was between 15 and 16, I... Crashed in Vegas, Reno, split my stomach open. Had to get flight for life down to Vegas. That was sure that wasn't cheap. I don't even want to ask my dad how much that was. <laughs> but yeah, split my stomach open. Uh, went to jail in Mexico and got my girlfriend pregnant all in one year. <laughs> At fifteen? <laughs> At fifteen, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had a we we were. That was an intense year. It was an intense year, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was crazy <clears throat> looking back on it, but. But it shaped who you are today. Yeah, it did. It, it is really what did. it is, right? That, that's yeah. cool. So, yeah, cool. Um, I, I, I'm intrigued with Baja. I, I want to go. I've never been. But there's a couple more Baja questions, stories I want to get from you. But we need to take a quick break. And we'll come back and we'll hear some more Baja and more, some, more about Dave Pearson. Sounds so right. let's take good. a break. We'll be back in a few. All right. We're back with Dave Pearson. Uh, we're going to talk about some more different races, but I'm still stuck on the Baja thing. I can't get Baja out of my head. Uh, a couple episodes ago, Eric told us a story about Baja when Eric went down with Dave to pre-run. I was told to ask you the real story from you, not Eric's side of it, because I heard it's a whole lot better when you tell the story. So Eric came down with me to be my chase guy and to help me pre-run my section. Usually we go down a week, week and a half prior to the event, 
and you pre-run your section as many times as you can, basically. So Eric's like, well, hey, I'm going to ride with you today. We'll just do a big loop. Basically, we were stationed at Bay of LA, and my section was like, 160 miles? Port, no, it was longer than that. It was Port Cedos to Bay of L.A. And then from Bay of L.A. all the way down to... Uh, and what was the name of that town? Little town down there. Yeah, it was below Gro Negro, down... Okay, so my section was probably... It was, it was like 300 It was probably 300 plus. total. Yeah. So we had kind of split it up a little bit, and we were like, you know, we kind of figured out in our brains you know if we leave bay of la here and we go straight down we pre-run our section then we could just burn the pavement back up it won't be too bad it won't be too bad of a day so anyway we're pre-running and we're riding side by side and i i had pre-run down there quite a bit well when you pre-run sometimes you have music and you know you have headphones and sometimes well me and eric we, i didn't have a headphones in i don't think we were just pre-running well, anyway, we get on, we get down by the coast, and Eric's just ripping up every Rail. corner, Rail, <laughs> dude. every corner, just like I'm at a Moran race. Yeah, I'm full pre run mode, just you know, upshifting, you know, Eric's drifting corners, <laughs> and just ripping up his bike. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, man, he's gonna wear out his tire if uh, he don't just cool it. <laughs> well, anyway. That day, we pre-ran my section, and we were riding pavement back. And I don't even think we had any problems besides, did you have a flat tire that day? Yeah, I got a flat tire. Got a flat tire. And I ran out of gas, remember? Yeah. So, I had a four-gallon tank on. And I was on a Honda 450R. Oh, yeah. And that was kind of my race bike at the time, but I had put a big tank on knowing that I was going down a pre-run. And, and this was like 2000... 2010. 10, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, Dave was racing for KTM. Uh, they were on a 525 or 530? 530, yeah. 530 that year. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so Dave kind of stops me, and he's like, hey, man, um, just back it off a little bit. We're not at a Moran race. You know, conserve your tires, conserve your gas. I mean, we weren't even halfway into our ride at this point. Like, he was like, hey, dude, back it off. We're just pre-running. And so, I mean, for me... It was two things. I was super stoked to be down there for my first time. I mean, this was a childhood dream, and I'm in Baja, and I'm just living it up, right? So I'm ripping. You're and racing. You, and racing and yeah, racing. I'm in race mode with Dave, and the last thing I want to do is hold Dave up, right? So anyway, he kind of gives me some kind of advice and says, hey, back it off a little bit. So anyway, we get further into the ride. Yeah, let's hear. Yeah, Dave. <laughs> and I run out of gas, right? And do you remember what you told me? I think I remember told you told you something like I, I he says can't quite remember something like hey you're not on a racehorse because we grew up on a ranch right and we're yeah. used to riding horses and stuff well my dad liked mules and and donkeys and stuff and so Dave says hey back it off you're not on a racehorse you're on a donkey <laughs> so I got demoted to a donkey at that point <clears throat> so anyway but in 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 his right I mean we were still. Quite a ways from where we're supposed oh, to we're, get. Oh, we're long ways, we're, we're long ways from, yeah. from fuel. Yeah. And so we click it on reserve. And I'm like, okay, you know, conserve mode. Just. And, and what are you thinking at this time, Dave? Oh, great. <laughs> well, I'm thinking it's like towards getting towards the afternoon. 
you know, we have maybe three, two or three hours worth of sunlight left, and we got like a three and a half hour ride back on pavement, back to get back to Bay of LA to stay at our hotel room. And it's not yeah. like Eric was going to meet me down there and in my section. We're on bikes. We're going for it that day just to see if we see can if do we it. Can make it. Yeah. Yeah, see if we can make it. <clears throat> anyway, we went on. I think I ran out again. Dave drained a little bit into a water bottle out of his tank, just enough to get us to the next little ranch rancho house. Like there was this rancho house in the middle of nowhere and Dave knew it was there. He had been down there a few times. And so, um, yeah, we get to this little rancho and bum some gas from a dude. Yeah. And that got us into the next town. And, and just before we had got to town, I got a rear flat. So honestly, at this point, Dave's got to be thinking, dude, what did I, what was I doing bringing this dude down here, you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, as I said before, you know, the people are resourceful down there. We got the flat changed. And then, yeah, we pounded pavement for like how, forever. forever. It seemed like it was like 150 miles back around, and, I swear. Yeah, it was a it long It probably wasn't race. that far, but it seemed like it was. It, it was over an hour and a half right on pavement. I know that. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was and that. We get and you're on the bikes. Way, yeah, we're on bikes. And we get about halfway into it, and it's dark. So I had, you know, I was kind of prepared, being the Boy Scout. As I whip out this flashlight, and Dave was like, oh, dude, you got a flashlight? I'm like, yeah, I got a flashlight, man. So we literally... You didn't reach up and hit the toggle switch? We, no, we, <laughs> neither of us had lights. No, we didn't have lights. So we literally taped a flashlight to my handlebars, yeah. and we both rode back on pavement under flashlight. For like another hour or 30, uh, 40 minutes. Oh, it was yeah. a long way. Yeah, it was pitch dark by the time we got to the turnoff. And it's like 30 miles down the Bay of LA, I think. Something like that. And it was pitch dark. I mean, we were riding by the light of the moon in this little flashlight that we had. It was pretty gnarly. We got back to camp. It was late. We got back to camp. Tired dogs. Yeah. So I want to go to Baja. I don't know if I want to go with you guys. Baja is awesome, man. If you have it, man, it's something that something that you you definitely should go do. Um, and... and uh, the nineties, we got my dad and my dad and Lee went down and raced Baja. So we were kind of hooked on Baja, then Danny got killed in Baja. Mm-hmm. And that put a total kibosh on Pearson's and ever going down there again. But uh yeah, it was uh I had never been down there and raced actually race. I think it was two thousand seven or six. Chris Blaze talked me into going down there racing a race with him on a KTM and from there it just KTM got involved and they wanted to start doing Baja races down there because they had never won the Baja 1000 in the last 20 years or 30 years or whatever. You know, I don't know if they won it back in the 90s or 80s, whatever, but they hadn't won it in a long time and they wanted to get an effort going down there again. And that mm-hmm. year that uh, that year that year we raced, uh, we put a pretty big effort together, but, but the 530 that they wanted us to race down there was just not... It was KTM's big bore bike, but it it, it wasn't a very good engineered motor. The oil didn't spray where it was supposed to, and it didn't keep things lubricated at high speeds and extreme conditions. Hmm. So we tested that bike quite a bit before we even went down there. And, like, literally, like, hey, we're testing the bike Saturday morning at, you know, start the test at 10 o'clock. Literally, we were, we'd test, test the bike all day, you know. One time, I remember, I was driving down there. It was like, you know... 9.30 or 10 o'clock, we were testing in Barstow. They called me, hey, we got here a little early, started testing the bike, it's already blown up. 
So literally, we struggled with that bike a lot. Mm-hmm. We had a great team. We had a great team that year. Ivan Ramirez was racing with us. Mm-hmm. Um, me, I think, was who who was riding was, the lower section? <clears throat> Chance Zito. It was Dave, Ivan Ramirez. Um, was Espo- Esposito? I think Espo was on our team, and maybe Quinn Party. <coughs> no, it was um, Steve. Steve Hengefeld. Steve Hengefeld, yeah. yeah. So we had we always had great teams when we went down there and raced, and we had good experience and we tested and we just on on KTM we never had very much success, mm-hmm. just because they wanted us to promote that five thirty and it was never a great bike. Hmm. So literally that that race that Eric's talking about when we pre ran together, we pre ran for I think. I think close to six, seven days. And then we went up and was we're doing the race. Well, Ivan races his section, gives me the bike at Old Portocitos. I hop on the bike and I literally ride three miles of pavement down to dirt, hop on the dirt, start pinning it. We're right in the race. I mean, we're right with the Honda team. And the bike blows up mm. within two miles of the dirt road. So uh, Baja... It never bit me as in, like, I got hurt bad down there, but you could spend, you know, you spend two weeks of your life down there every race. Get three races down there a year. That's six, that's a, you know, month and a half. It's a lot of time to spend down there. Yeah. And well, everything has you know, to line up. Yeah, for, me, me for, and Eric went down there and pre-ran and worked our butts <laughs> off and found lines and worked hard. And then you only get to ride five miles. And, the, mm. you know, Steve Vanderfield, he went down the road his section. He didn't even get this, the bike, didn't even make it to him. Wow. So yeah. you put in all this effort, and sometimes it's make or break, you know? Yeah, and that, that was the year Bonanza Plumbing was on board. And like Dave said, KTM put a lot of money into that bike. I mean, they worked the kinks out of that motor. They ended up putting an oil cooler on the yeah, bike. Yeah, oil cooler. And it was kind of a fluke deal that it even blew up. Hmm. The external oil cooler that they had on the bike, they had built this fancy fabricated mount and all this stuff. And anyway... Um, I think Ivan hit, you know, bottomed it out on a whoop or hit a rock or something, and it, it the skid plate kind of rolled under, and that external oil cooler rolled down and pinched the line. Kinked it, yeah. And so there was no oil flow when Dave got on the bike, Ooh. and he took it four miles. As soon as he opened it up on the dirt, it blew up. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, the amount of money and time and resources <clears throat> that were thrown at that thing with helicopters and, you know, I mean, it was, it was a huge effort. Yeah. Everything's got to line up. Tierra Motorsports had, had stepped in, and yeah. they were they were a big part of it. You know, they put their yeah. money up on the line. Yeah. So. But that paved the way for a for a pretty awesome run with THR and Bonanza Plumbing. It did. Down there. Yeah. After I uh, after I raced KTM's down there, THR Motorsports picked me up. I rode Kawasaki's down there for three three or three years probably, and we raced every race, every series. You know, and it was fun. We uh, we had a lot of fun down there. Um, I raced a lot with a lot of great riders down there. I raced with Taylor Roberts. We had a team put together. Taylor Roberts was on our team. Me and Robbie Bell. Ricky time. Brabeck. Yeah, Robbie Ricky Bell. Brabeck. Steve Hengefeld. Yeah. We yeah. Had, we had, we had some always, awesome We always teammates. had a great effort. Yeah. You know, but Honda had done it so many times. They knew where the access roads were. They knew every in and out of every single section. And they just... Racing down there all those years, they had their crap together a little more than we did, even though we worked as hard as we could and did as much as we could. The experience, you know, the experience played yeah. out. But hmm. so when 
when was your first race down there? It wasn't 2010. You raced before that. No, it was t- uh, like 2008? 2006. Six? Okay. I went down there with Chris Blaze uh, before Chris crashed and got paralyzed. I went down and raced with him. And for some reason, San Felipe that year had turned into the Baja 250 because San Felipe, yep, there was that. a there was something go on. They were mad at San Felipe <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, Pull it they up. had the Baja 250. What started in Sonata just did a loop. And ended in Ensenada. Well, Chris rode the first 30 miles that I hopped on, and the bike blew up, like, within 30 miles. So then we swapped the motor, Valley T, and the trophy trucks were, like, 10 minutes behind me. And I was getting ready to leave Valley T and go hit the crossover and crossover. And pretty soon I'm looking behind me, dust cloud. All right, let that guy go by. I must have got past, like, probably 12 or 13 trophy trucks on the way to the finish line. Wow. But that was my first race down there. Hmm. Uh, then, uh, yeah, just a snowball effect, man. KTM kind of got involved, and we started racing down there quite a bit. And probably one of my most memorable races, or my m- most memorable experience down there, was uh, 2013. Um, this is either 12 or 13. It was the same year Kurt passed away. 13. 13. So I'm pre running my section at nighttime. It's a summit. And they had a start at midnight and going up and over the summit and dropping off and doing a big loop and it came back and in and it's not a well I'm pre-running at nighttime because that's when my section is so I'm I start at like nine o'clock at night when it gets dark and I'm pre-running my section well for some reason I run out of gas down like 10 miles before the dry lake bed El Diablo or whatever that mm-hmm. was that what it's called I think so yeah yeah run out of gas and it's like I have a flashlight, a little bit of food, water, and that's it. I'm thinking, dude, I'm out of gas. How did I misfigure this? What happened? You know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'll wait like an hour and a half, two hours. Nobody comes. Not even truck, nothing. So I said, I'm going to spend the night out in Baja. This is, I, I've this heard is, of people yeah. having to do this. This, this is, is pre-running. This, pre-run is this is pre-running. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to spend the night out here. No biggie. So I push my bike to the basically right by the road so if somebody was passing they would see me push my bike push hand up against my back tire you know so it's standing up and i lay down like helmet on everything like i'm not gonna take my helmet off and lay in the sand leave my helmet on i'm sleeping (laughs) with the snakes scorpions lizards everything like just jesus take the wheel If, if 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 i wake up in the morning i'm still alive cool if not it was a good run so I'm sleeping. I'm like, this is like midnight, one. I'm sleeping. All of a sudden, I hear, Pearson, is that you? I look up, and it's like, and Brian Dudak. He's like, are you okay? I'm half asleep still. Yeah, I'm all right. I ran out of gas. Well, do you want me to give you some? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. He gave me a little bit of gas, and I had pre-run, finished pre-running my section. And, yeah, my guys were just waiting where they needed to wait. At, there's a place called Three Poles. My section ended at Three Poles. They were waiting there for me, and they are like, dude, what happened? Like, somehow I miscalculated and ran out of gas because there's always a pit down on the dry lake bed. Well, yeah, long wow. story short, I was sleeping down in Mexico. <laughs> just... <laughs> That was it. That was that was probably my gnarliest nighttime pre-running section down there. Huh. Mm. Uh. Um. 
I know you've mentioned his name a few times in, in, in Legend. Tell us a little bit about Kurt Caselli, I guess. Uh, I think I met him once or twice, but nothing serious. Um. So, <clears throat> it's, it's crazy. Um, I started racing for KTM because of uh, Rich Caselli. Rich had talked to Ron Heben, which he was running the KTM program at the time. And Rich is Kurt's dad? Rich is Kurt's dad. Said, uh, hey, we're looking for to put a desert team together for KTM. We were wondering if you and Matt Gosnell maybe wanted to join forces and try to promote this 525 for us and see what you can do. Well, I had just... I, uh, I hurt my back at the end of 2000. Five, so KTM dropped me. They didn't renew, or Kawasaki. Kawasaki dropped me, didn't renew my contract. KTM said, hey, we're starting a program. Well, come on, come on, yeah. come on board. So, yeah, Rich Caselli got me that deal. And everything was pretty good, you know. During my career, I always rode all the time. I always rode, trained, riding. But I never went to the gym or nothing like that, you know, and burpees and squats and all that. <laughs> I never, I never, I never did. I really, I mean, to be honest, I never really, I never went to the gym. I just rode. My riding was my training, which worked good. But um, I rode 2006, did pretty good on my KTM's. Then uh, Rich said, "Hey, why don't you come down to California?" Rich and Kurt were like, "Why don't you move down to California? You can stay at our house, train with Kurt, and let's get you winning some of these races and get you, you know, you're doing good." You want a couple, but let's get, let's get serious. Let's get serious, yeah. Like, all right, let's do it. So 2006, I had gone to six days on the junior trophy team with me, Kirk Selly, Ricky Dietrich, and Russell Bobbitt. And we ended up winning the U.S. Junior World Trophy team title. And that was like a huge deal. It hadn't been done since That was like, the first time in yeah, years. Yeah, since like 1993 or something like that. Mike Lafferty and a couple guys won it. Awesome. So, yeah, that was that was kind of the beginning of it. And uh, I remember I moved down there. I had a decent K- contract with KTM. You know, I was making pretty good money. I moved down there and was living with them. And uh, we'd go riding and we'd go to the gym. And Kurt had a personal trainer. And it was like a smaller gym. I'm thinking, well, Kurt's like, you know, jumping over the bar and stuff like that. And so I asked my trainer, dude, I said, hey, man, when am I going to be able to, you know, do that kind of stuff? He's like, we're just working on your push-ups and sit-ups right now. And <laughs> he says Kurt's like two and a half years in, so like probably two and a half years. I'm thinking, holy moly, all right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I'm doing crab walks and all sorts of crap <laughs> out the parking lot. It was basically CrossFit before there was CrossFit, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. I never really rode motocross either, and Kurt started taking me to motocross tracks. I mean, we'd ride, we'd ride three, four times a week normally. If we weren't at the gym, we were we had off days, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what boosted my career, kind of. I lived with him and trained with them, and two thousand seven, um, I won the national hair and hound title, and yeah, it was going good in two thousand eight, and I. Crash and broke my femur actually here in Panaka practicing. I remember hearing and about that. And my femur took quite a while to heal. Um, then that was like March, April of 2008. And 2009 comes around, my 
my femur is just not healing quite as good as I would like it to. It's like, well, the first race is, you know, January 18th or whatever. You got to race it. Win, lose, or draw, you got to race it. So I remember racing it, and my femur wasn't really healed up, and it was kind of, it's kind of a sketchy deal mm-hmm. racing when you're not 100% healed. But anyway, it was, uh, 2007 was a really cool year because, like, Atalanta Grand Prix, I brought that up earlier, or I haven't brought it up yet, but um, me and Kurt got to race the team race together, and we won the t- pro team race overall. Cool. And then we raced the pro race, which was, I think the pro race was Sunday and the pro team race was Saturday. <laughs> well, anyway, we raced the pro team race, and we won that, and then we raced the pro race, and he won, and I got second. So it was a it was a good year, man. Kurt was on it. I was I was doing good, you know. I was doing good in Best in Desert and racing a few races with uh, Matt for a little while, and it was fun. It was a it was a fun time living with the Casellis and kind of, you know, learning about them and learning how they do stuff, how they're successful, and it's mainly just hard work, every day, eat, dream, and live about it. You know, dream about it, and yeah, it's every day wake up and all right, we're training today, you know. And I had never really experienced that in my racing career. I mean, he always did sit-ups and push-ups, you know, and stay in shape and, and ride all the time, but his intense training was like, like, holy cow. So fast forward a few years, when I was racing against him, um, at the end of 2010, Cal, uh, KTM said, hey, we're going to hire Kurt to do the Heron Hounds. You and David Cavanaugh, we're going to let you go. Okay, well, I talked to Ron Burvines. Anyway, I raced for him that year, and I battled with Kurt pretty good, pretty hard, you know? Mm-hmm. We, me and Jason Reveal worked pretty hard on our bike setups, and we, ha- we, were, we were in tune with our suspension so much to where I would be training down in California. We'd go down on Friday, suspension testing, and I'd be going through a set of whoops or something, and I would hit something and kick my bike. And so I'd go back to the box fan, Jason would say, all right, let's go. We're, show me what it did, where it's at, what rock you hit, what happened. So we'd go, and I'd go through the session again, hit the rock, and I'd kick. All right, and Jason would watch what my bike did, where my body position was. All right, and he'd say, all right, I think we need to do this and this, and he would mess with the clickers. And, and we were pretty serious with our testing. I mean, yeah. we'd go, and we would... If, if something kicked sideways, he would see where it kicked sideways, what it was, what made it kick. So, I don't know, it was fun. But racing against Kurt, I mean, you're pretty much racing for second. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I knew how much work he put in it, you know. He was going to ISD and getting, like, top five overall in the world. And I'm, like, battling, like, riding really good, battling for 50th out of, like, 600 people that are there, you know. Wow. But Kurt was just a different animal. It was, it was a really fun experience in my racing career to be second to him a lot of the time because I would see what his lines did, and he was going for it from the... He didn't get tired. I mean, from the banner drop to the checkered flag, it was all he was as hard as he'd all. go, jumping off of stuff. I mean, I remember one hare and hound. I caught up to him. And we, I was a little bit behind him. It's like... 10, 15 miles in, come up and rise, and we missed the course. So then I got ahead of him. So I'm riding just hard, thinking, man, maybe I'll kick up some dust and I'll be able to dust them out. Put a little, a little gap. Put a little gap. Yeah, you know. 
Oh no, I look, I look back after hairballing it for like a mile and a half and he's like 10 feet behind me. Oh. Still like right on my tail like, holy cow, all right, I'll wick it up a little more. I wicked up a little more, just bouncing off the stuff. I look back a half mile later and he's still right behind me. So I just slow down and pull over. <laughs> I am going to crash if I keep right. this pace up. Go ahead. And yeah, it was just, it was riding against him was just, I don't know. He always, he was this unbelievable to ride against, you know, to race against, to finish second against. And I think that same race, me and him were battling a little bit. It was like a three-lap race. Well, we show up at the end of the second lap. Kurt had just got back by me. And, like, I was 30 seconds behind him. But we were, like, six, five, six minutes ahead of the next dude. And so we took off on the third lap, and I am tired. This is the race where we're kind of going back and forth. Thinking, man. A hare and hound? Yeah. Yeah. It was the third lap, and it was, like, a 35-mile loop. And I remember going out on the third lap, going across the dry lake bed. Kurt was, like, a minute and a half ahead of me already. I looked back, and there's nobody behind me at the end of the dry lake bed. Cruise control. I was just on cruise control, dude. Second is good enough. Cruise to the finish. Kurt put like five minutes on me in 20 miles. Never got tired. Never got tired. I watched his tracks. I watched his lines. You know, I was right behind him. Well, I was a little ways back, obviously, all the time. But I watched what lines he took. And he was just like no other. Mm. No, nobody else I had raced against, you know. Wow. He had a way of just always turning it up and... Oh, okay, do you want to turn it up a little bit? Well, oh, I'll turn it up a little more. Because <laughs> you're going to wear out sooner than I am, so good luck. There's still 50 miles left in this race, dude. Like, so you, go Just ahead. gnarly. Go ahead, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it, was, it was awesome, though. It was cool racing against Kurt, racing Cowies. I was racing for THR. He was riding for KTM. I was racing for Purvines in 11, and then I rode for THR 12 and 13. And it was fun. It was really fun racing against them. So talking about pushing it to the next level and just, I mean, giving it everything you've got. Um, I was asked to, to ask you about the dump can. Yeah. The dump uh, can incident. The dump can incident at the Heron Hound. Yeah. So it was the last race in 2012, 12 or 13. I think it was 12. Um, the last race... You were still on Honda? No. No. no so you had on, just... I was on THR. Okay. Cowie. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, if Kirk got first and I got second, I would beat him by two points. Of course, he had crashed in Utah and got hurt and DNF like two rounds. So it was only... We were only battling the last race because he had gotten hurt or else he would have been... He'd have taken it. But, uh, yeah. At the but, set, but, yeah. But you went into this race two points apart. Yeah. And Kurt pulled the whole shot. I was second. Camo was third. And Camo was kind of really good pals with Kurt. So I think, I don't know. They had some team, team <laughs> tactics. Maybe. I don't know. You, you, <laughs> never, you never know. I, I can't right. say yes or no. But anyway, Camo passed me kind of off the course, which the first 10 miles of a Heron Hound, if you're on the course, you're getting passed. If you're in the dust, it, it, you're, yeah, you're finding the line. People are finding lines. That's yeah. what you do in Heron Hounds. So anyway, Camo passes me, and I'm thinking, all right, well, you know, we still got ways to go you know I, I didn't need to get around them well at the end of the first lap I had tried like I had hairballed it and like almost died like three times like trying to get around David yeah and I knew it was gonna be make a break so I had for some reason Pearson my Pearson brain worked 
If I'd always thought about it, you know, gassing on the go. Just grabbing the dump can, leave it in first gear. Grabbing the <laughs> dump can with your left hand, keeping the throttle going. Getting it in the tank and pitting while you're going down pit row. Well, they had some rule you had to pit on the gas mat, which nobody did anyway, but right. it was in the rules. Right. So, yeah, so I grabbed the can. I was like eight seconds behind Camel coming in the pits, like right in the thick of his dust. So this was on the fly. This wasn't pre-planned. This was like you're on the fly just oh, trying to yeah, find this it. wasn't planned at all. You're finding anything that can help yeah, separate I, a I few seconds. Thought, I thought about it. A few years before that, you know, if I need to make up five seconds, might as well pass me in the pits. How could I do it? Yeah, well, thinking outside the box. Yeah, thinking outside the box, but it ended up backfiring on me. I grabbed the can, pitted. I'm like, well, I can't hand it to anybody. So I, you know, tossed, tossed it, it towards the end of the pit row after I had pitted. Well, yeah, I, could, I got in trouble for tossing it, and I got in trouble for not pitting on a gas mat. and Yeah, it was a whole big ordeal. <laughs> I got protested, and... Anyway, long story short, I left the pits about us two seconds behind Camel instead of five or six or seven or eight. And leaving the pits, I got around him. So it worked. Rode the last lap, came in, finished second behind him, got protested, lost the championship because I pitted yeah. on the fly. Ah, yeah. So That's unfortunate. Yeah. That's so that's something that um Talking to Trent Sandoval, he says, you know, one thing about Dave Pearson is he goes into it, no matter what he does, he goes into it 110%. And and he is successful with a lot of what he does because he'll think outside the box. He'll think outside of what the norm is, you know. And um, I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with it, man. Uh, racing, racing in general, whether it's Best in Desert or Hare and Hounds, you always go to the race. Just I don't know. Pearson mentality was always you got to win. I don't know what it, what it was about it, but that's kind of one of the reasons why after I quit racing professionally, I kind of just quit even riding. You know, it's kind of because that desire to win was yeah. So great. It's like well. Just, Okay, I could still have a. I could buy a four fifty and, you know, have precision build it, and I could still have a sweet bike and race it. But the preparation that goes into it, training, started having kids, and it's like, you know what wanna, it takes. Yeah, I want to win. I want to go home and hang out with my kids. I don't want to go say, well, sorry, kids, I got to go ride. You know, and ride till dark. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I I didn't know how to just show up to race after I was done racing my professional career. And just race the over 30 class and have fun with, like, getting 7th or 10th overall, you know, and win over 30 class. I don't know. It's just... No, I, it's, I, I got I got offered a few times. Even this last year, Kellen and Danny Cooper wanted me to race the Mint 400. And I said, yeah, to begin with. I'm like, man, I don't even know where my gear is. Danny's like, dude, I'll get you all new gear. <laughs> new boots, what do you need? I said, well... So I said yes to begin with, but I called him back, like, two days later. I'm like, dude, no. I said, I haven't ridden. I haven't trained. I mean, it's... That's just, respect. Yeah, that's respectable, just, though. I mean, with, with racing, yeah, kind understandable. Of any, anything that I try to do in life, you try to do it as best you can, you know? And right. and that's... Yeah. I don't know yeah. why we're born like that, but, like, Russ, when he quit racing, he was done. Like, 
not even racing for fun. Like, no, I'm not going to go race around race for fun. Yeah, one time I'm I done racing. I asked Russ one time why he, you know, didn't race anymore. He he just told me he says, you know, I know what it takes to win, and I'm not willing to put the work in anymore. Like I I know how much work it is to to win and yeah, you know, I've been there, done that, and not willing to to keep doing it at this point. And that's totally mm-hmm. respectable. I mean, you know from the outside looking into someone that's like at your level, you know, it's respectable. Understandable. Yeah. All the traveling and testing and stuff we did when we were racing full time, a lot of work. It's like, you don't have weekends free because you're racing on weekends mm-hmm. and you don't have the week for free cause you're tra- training during the week or working a part-time job or a full-time job and trying to train. And it's like, I don't know. I just, whenever I was done, I was done. But, I was uh, talking to a good buddy, and we were actually thinking about doing the best med of the race, maybe in twenty twenty one. Cool. But, yeah. Yeah. But a little come out of retirement. Yeah, but not like over have... thirty or over forty. We're, we'd race the open pro class hmm. and go for the overall. Oh, we'll be rooting for you. But, hey, but that, I think you just, I think you just caught the attention that, of all our listeners. That being said, hey, if you heard that, blow up Dave's Facebook or Instagram or whatever he's on. He needs to do yeah. more than push-ups and sit-ups. Let him know. Yeah. Let him know we want him to push-ups come out of retirement. Come. Need to jump no. over that bar. Yeah, <laughs> it probably won't happen. But we were talking about it. We were talking about how fun it would be. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, what was your last race that you raced? Um, was it our ground shaker race that point to point a couple years ago? Yeah, it was probably the ground shaker race started in Panac and ended in County. County. Yeah, that was the actual last race that I raced, I think. That's what I was thinking. Cool. So, so <clears throat> you talked about um, a best in the desert race that maybe you lost some money at. You want to elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, when I was riding Kawasaki, um, Team Green had two teams in the Open Pro Division. Uh, Destry and Shane Esposito raced one team, and me and Brian Brown raced on the other team. And uh, every year, Best Desert would have a race called the Terrible Town 250. It started in Prump and went up around Beatty and went back to Prump. Well, the Herps decided they would put up some money that year, and first overall winners in the truck division got a certain amount like 50 grand and then I think first in the motorcycle division was either 20 grand or 10 grand wow. I think it was 20 grand because I was counting my pennies the old hens were hatching already <laughs> but, uh, make a long story short I think we drew second or third and Brian started and I did my section then I only I had rode, ridden really good I had caught up and passed Destry we were leading the race overall we started behind Destry I'm like, well, it's gonna be have a somebody's gonna have a hard time passing Destry to catch him, pass them, and then have to pass us or beat us on time. So everything's going good. I pit and Beatty, heading across Armagosa. I have like literally eight miles left on the end of my section, and then Brian Brown's gonna hop on and ride the last fifty to the finish. Like, dude, Brian's solid. You know, we're good to go. So I'm going across Armagosa. Just I put a little time on second place, even. I think I, by the time I broke down, I had like four minutes on second place, I counted. But anyway, we're going across Armagosa, and I'm just thinking, man, dollar signs. You know, on the 500s, tapped. 
and all of a sudden my bike locks up, seized up the motor, just skid to a stop. You gotta be kidding me. Uh, Come on, bud. Yeah, it was gnarly. (laughs) I literally had like eight miles left on my section, and it was all roads, you know, I wasn't in the rocks, I got through the rocky stuff, and yeah, our bike blew up. Oh. 20 grand that year. Dang. 20 Ouch. grand. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. But, yeah, that was probably the most money that I lost. Not, I almost had. I didn't Ouch. really lose. But, yeah, I could have had. Yeah. But I think Russ and Ty, the next year, they were on Yamaha's, and they broke down like three miles before they finished with the lead. So they lost cash, too. It wasn't just me. Dang. It was a, it was a whole Pearson ordeal. Losing Terrible Town. that's crazy so there was another racing you did enduro cross were you like one of the first that started that racing that when that first came out or so yeah i was uh i want to say it was 2003 was maybe the first very first enduro cross sounds about right 2002 maybe something somewhere around there maybe four Anyway, we'd always, as Pearsons, we'd always gone Billy Goten and, you know, r- ridden nasty stuff all the time and mm-hmm. overheating our bikes, doing so, you know. So this Enduro Cross came to town and tons of people showed up to race it. And I showed up on my KX250. I was racing for Team Green, so I was under the Team Green tent. But uh, I remember I won my heat and, like, there's, I think, three heats maybe. And this was in Vegas? This at, was in Vegas at the New Orleans Arena, <clears throat> the very first time they ever did it. I won my heat race, and then in the main event, I ended up getting fourth overall in the main event. Um, Ryan Hughes won it. David Knight got second. Mickey Ahola got third, and I got fourth. <laughs> so it was a pretty pretty fun deal. I think that's one I have on VHS tape in yeah. storage somewhere. <laughs> Heck yeah. And then if, when I was racing for KTM a few years later... I think 2007 when I was doing getting my championship mm-hmm. and stuff, I got third overall at one. Uh, David Knight won. I think Dan Bradshaw. I think I think he got second. I got third or something like that. Damon Huffman maybe. I don't know. He rode for Team Green for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I got a podium or two on the Enduro Cross. It was fun. Yeah, I saw you in really Oklahoma fun. City. Uh, I don't know if it was 2007 or eight, but uh, the. Lazy E Arena. Yeah. Down in Oklahoma City. Gutierrez, yeah. Oklahoma, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was fun. It was fun doing the That other. was my first Enduro Cross. Yeah. Gnarly. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. It was, it was fun gnarly. doing Enduro Cross always just because everybody was, you could, they could see it. You know, Heron Stadium setting. Heron right. telling you about these battles and stuff like that. Nobody saw it. You know, half the time we weren't even wearing GoPros or anything, so we didn't really even have footage, but. Yeah, the Enduro Cross is so cool because everybody can see you. They see you crash. It's on film, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. you have a nasty crash. Yeah. Wally Farmer has a nasty crash. Everybody <laughs> sees it on YouTube, you know. All <laughs> right. So it's pretty fun. It was it was fun while I did them, and I think like I don't know. We just traveled a lot, like Oklahoma. There was some in Colorado. We did so much traveling during our racing career when. When we were done racing, it was just like, all right. Ready to shut it off. Yeah, ready to shut it off. <clears throat> just ready to do something something else in life, focus on something else. Cool. So, so a question from Recreation Tire over here in uh, Pioch. 
What is your favorite type of racing? High speed, technical, GP, motocross, endurocross, Baja. You know. What's your favorite? My favorite is probably best in desert slash Baja. You know, down in Baja, <clears throat> we are very fortunate to always have a helicopter following us during the daytime. I mean, like 80, 90% of the time you had a helicopter above you and they would communicate with you. You would always carry radio. Hey, there's a car coming back from the course, you know. Hey, there's a dog on the right-hand side of the road up here on this left-hand corner. Okay. You know, so you always had communication, even if... I remember one time where I was riding for KTM. I was riding the 690. We, for some reason, had six... The KTM had came up with this Baja bike. It was a 690. It was heavy. And the suspension didn't work very good for the Baja setting. Kind of an adventure touring. Kind of an adventure, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Anyway, we had a helicopter following us. I remember one time my radio didn't work. I couldn't, my push button didn't work. But they could, I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. Hmm. So, like, I'm riding. They said, hey, David. And I would answer back, but they couldn't hear me. So then, hey, Raise your right hand if you can hear me. So I'd raise my right hand. Okay, we know that you can hear us. Okay, we'll 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 keep in touch with you and we'll let you know whatever's going on, whatever you know. But you couldn't talk to but them. But I couldn't talk to them at all. Wow. So hmm. it was always fun. It was always it always felt like I it was a little safer. Like when I was probably the probably the hardest Baja race that I raced was in two thousand thirteen where we raced up in the summit at nighttime, you always think like, okay, this, the Mexicans down there, they're going to be drinking at night. They're going to... Out on the course. Out on and, the course. And, there's, and there's people on the course in the middle of nowhere. I mean, <laughs> places you would not imagine to see anybody. Yeah, they're probably just going to try to get to their spectator spot. Yeah. To watch, but that was probably one of the scariest times I started. I started the race and went the first 30 miles, then Ricky Rayback went 40 down to kilometer 77, and then I went up and over the summit down to three poles. And that was probably the gnarliest race at night at that highest speed. You know, we had qualified that Thursday, I think. Kirk Selly qualified first, Colton was second, I was third off the start. And Espo, Shannon Suzito qualified fourth with his team. So it was there was a lot of pressure that year just because... Um, that was one of the years that had the most stacked classes, too. Like... yeah. The stacked riders, um, if you will, like teams were just loaded with good riders. Talent. Yeah, talent. Yeah, they were. I mean, I think KTM had two teams, Yeah, I want to say. Yeah, it was a big effort at that point. I mean, point. they had a big effort, man. They had a... and, and guys were pushing it yeah. as hard as, you know, as hard as they could down there. It was... So, anyway, so that was probably one of your most stressful rides down there probably. just because of it. it's always in the back of your mind whether or not there's booby traps and or just you just don't have that support of a helicopter huh yeah you don't have any support of a helicopter and you're on your own yeah i mean i i always leaving it's not as a little sketchy and then even getting down to ojos is a little sketchy yeah i don't know it's just I, I i didn't really i didn't really dig it racing at night and I that having to ride that high rate of speed because you know Kirk Sully's ahead of you, and, you know Colton you can't let him go. Him. Yeah. And at that time, Colton was pinning it hard down there, just as hard as anybody was. He's a strong yeah. kid. Yeah. 
but it was that was probably the most stressful my most best stressful Baja run. So hmm. you did end up going back after twenty thirteen when Kurt passed away. Um, you know, and and it was a couple years. How was your run back down there? You know, it was it was good, but it always it was always it was always in your mind. You know, Kurt was always on your mind down there whenever you raced after that. You know, I think we went down and raced San Felipe. I don't think we won. Then we won the 500. I got, I won the 500 twice. Um, but yeah, that, I never won a thousand. I think it was 14. They went down there. We did decent at the San Felipe race. I raced the 500. We won. And then I didn't race the thousand that year just because in 13 I had raced and Kurt crashed and just, just didn't I feel know, right. I just, I just didn't feel real amped up to be down there. So I kind of bowed out of racing the thousand, and they won that year. My the Kawasaki team won that year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thinking back, it'd be cool to say I won the Baja one thousand, but I've raced it plenty of times and gotten second a lot of times and mm-hmm. had my fun yeah. experience down there. You know, in uh, in two thousand seven, we raced the race with Cyril Dupree, Chris Blaze, I think it was Quinn Cody, and Shane Esposito. We had five people on our team, and it was probably one of my funnest races looking back you know because my dad would always tell stories you know i rode clear through the night blah blah you know and you soak up those stories and it's like dude that's crazy you know but so the race started in ensenada and went clear down to cabo that year it was like 1200 and something miles so i hop on the bike i start and i go like i go till like one o'clock in the afternoon like from six o'clock in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon then uh, Cyril hops on and does 100 miles, one of his sections, and I hop on. So I started the race when it was dark. I watched the sun come up. I rode till midday. I hopped off. Cyril rode 100 miles. I hopped back on and watched the sun go back down. <laughs> Not really. Handed the bike off to Chris Blaze. He rode his section. Quinn Cody crashed on his section, broke his femur. Mm. So, and Shane had already ridden his section. Anyway, like 2 o'clock in the morning, they're like, hey, you got to hop back on the bike. Searle was able to make it to this pit and hop on for Quinn, but you got to hop back on because he's never pre-ran this part of the course. So I was like, all right. So this is after riding like most of the day in my section. <laughs> yeah. So 2 o'clock in the morning, probably 2, 2.30, I hop back on the bike and start breaking trail and down the country, you know. And down there, you pre-run so you know where to go around all the silt beds. You know, you already have hot lines. Well, I'm just... Riding the race course because I yeah that wasn't my section at all yeah no. you're winging it so anyway I hopped back on the bike rode and watched the sun come back up and then wow. we finished at like nine thirty in the morning so I think I rode like four hundred were you like four hundred eighty miles delirious like that. at that point seeing stuff miles. it was pretty <laughs> gnarly yeah wow it was pretty sketchy I think Shane was down there like one or two pits before the finish and it was like six thirty in the morning the sun had just come up he's like hey you want me to hop on I'm like no I'm good was, at that point it's like You'd already ridden that far. You're like, I'll just see the finish, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was pretty fun. But that was on that cool. big old 690 bike. It just was a little too heavy for Baja and didn't handle very good. Huh. That's that right Dakar-looking bike or whatever. Yeah, they they make it more as a, a dual-sport bike now. But, yeah, we were... 
You was, showed up at a Moran race one time with that. Didn't I did. You? I raced the Moran yeah. race up at Pioch on it. Yeah. It was uh, the gravel pit halfway up to Pioch. I remember that. I remember Ron Pervines, he bought out the number one start position. I think he paid like 250 bucks for it. He started first. I pulled the whole shot on the pack, caught up to Ron. Ron let me by. And then, yeah, I think Justin Wallace ended up catching me and passing me. And I got second behind him, I think. I think that's when Justin ran out of gas and had to pour. No, that was that was Panaka race. Yeah. Anyway, he ran out of gas and filled his boot up with gas, and somebody gave him gas, and oh, he come into the finish line. I remember, and his foot and everything was on fire, and we're like, "What? What?" Yeah, it was full of gas. Jeez, <laughs> I never, I never had to ride that dual piper bike, the desk whopper that Kellen talked about last week. This was like the newer model of that. That was like two thousand four, two thousand five, and then they upgraded it. They built this new 690 that was supposed to replace it, and it wasn't much better. Needless to say, it wasn't near as good as like a XR650 was. It just it was really rigid and a lot heavier too. Hmm. So, but it was fun. It was fun. The Austrian mechanics would come over and they would lay out all their tools. I mean, there'd be like four mechanics, and they would just start tearing apart the bike, working as a team, and it, it was pretty cool to see them. Working as a team like that. At that Huge time, effort. Yeah. yeah. At that time, uh, John Turner, he was my mechanic when I won my championship. He was helping them. So he had his tools out. And it was pretty awesome to see how much effort they put into trying to win races down there. Mm-hmm. It's just something they hadn't won. And so they kind of, I'm sure they still, you know, in a few years, hopefully they'll put an effort and start trying to win the ball again. But they, they haven't won 1,000 in a long time. And that's, KTM, mm-hmm. that's kind of how... If they haven't won something, it kind of irks them. They it, want that. They want that. Yeah, like in the nineties yeah. and the in the two thousand through the two thousands, they were like, they wanted that Baja one thousand win. They weren't able to get it. Cool. What's uh, what's some advice you'd give to a young rider coming up, uh, that may want to win big championships or become a paid rider, and that that's coming from recreation tires also. Um, probably my advice would be just to don't ride over your head. I know when you're coming through the amateur ranks and even entering the experts, some experts are going faster than you are. So you're thinking, Hey, I need to, I got to kick it up. I got to, I got to pick it up. I would say stay at, at the pace of your body and your skill and your, your, your knowledge on the bike, you know, don't ride over your head. Uh, the worst thing that kids can do is ride over their head, crash and get hurt. Mm-hmm. Then they're healing up. You know, I would say that's the biggest thing. Stay healthy. That's what I was taught when I was a kid growing up. Stay healthy and speed will come. That's kind of what they told me and, and it was true, you know. That's what I was going to say. Is, so at that, with that being said, how, how can they expect to, you know, have that speed kick up or how how can they get the speed to come with not riding over your head but I mean how do you how do you get to that point of being the fastest dude I would say just practice 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 and ride to your capability and really learn your bike what your bike will do and what it won't do because half the time 
time on seat time will help you tremendously not crash because you know what your bike will be capable of. You know what it's not capable of most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Good. More more time on the bike, the better. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Most. I mean, <clears throat> when I was riding five hundreds, we were starting to use mooses. Well, we would use a moose, a used moose, and we'd analyze my result, and we'd we'd have a brand new moose put in it. We'd analyze the result. My dad says, man, I think we're onto something here, but I don't think we should use brand new mooses for hare and hounds. I'm like, hmm. well, why is that? He says, I don't know. You Here you got third overall. You know, what was the difference? I said, I don't know. I don't know what the difference was these two races. He says, well, you got third here and you got sixth here. I said, I don't know. He said, well, so we started using used mooses in every single race. You know, we would break them in during the week or the week before. And then we had changed our tire and we'd keep the used moose instead of a brand new one. So just, I mean, there's little things like, things like that. If they're mental, that's fine. But if they actually work, that's, you know, it's even better too. Yeah. So we found things like that when we were racing. So I would agree with, with Dave's comment. I mean, on don't ride over your head. That's one of the things that I learned coming up, you know, was, hey, you know, you can push it. You can push the limits, but eventually it's going to bite you and you're going to end up with injuries and stuff. Um, bike setup is huge. What's one, of the, what's one of the most important things to you for setting your bike up right to go fast? Um, I would say rebound plays a really important role um, in your suspension setup. Um, a lot of the times... My dad, the way he would set his bike up is it was a couch because he was over 30, over 38, just kind of cruising. But we learned more and more. They bought one of Danny Hamill's bikes back in the old days, and the front forks were really, really, really stiff. Hmm. And the back end was set up like a couch, just really soft. But that was so that when he hit a ditch, his front end would spring up with his back end. It wouldn't kick him over the bars. Hmm. And... So rebound, I, I played a lot with rebound growing up and doing suspension testing. Usually I would leave my back end dead to where it would just go with the flow. It wasn't ever really, really stiff and it wasn't ever really, really active. Active. It was just kind of leave a kind of a dead feeling. And then I would speed up the rebound a little bit on my front fork so that if you did hit a rock, you know, you're going along in the desert, you hit the rock with the front tire, lifts up a little bit, then you hit it with your back tire and it kicks up. Then your front end's coming down and your back end's going up and you kind of ride the front bars for a little, you know, handlebars for a little bit. Do a flying <laughs> W as you will. The rebound helps a lot with that because if you speed up the rebound and your forks a little bit, it kicks up a little more than it normally would. But then by the time your back end kicks it, you're still level instead of... Bike's not going back end high. Yeah. Coming so, up over uh, you. So we, we mess with the rebound a lot and more than we did anything else, we mess with rebound. Mm, cool interesting so, so rebound suspension is major role yeah cool um well we need to take a little break here uh we will take a short break come back we could probably talk for hours i know we all got to get up early in the morning and go to work we still have real jobs or have real jobs so let's take a little break come back and finish up the Dave Pearson story. All right. Sounds good.
Hey guys, we're back. Uh, hope you're enjoying the show. Hit us up with comments or questions on at the desert dirt biker at gmail.com or on Facebook, KD Eric, or on Instagram, the desert dirt biker. Uh, hit us up, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, give a shout out to Dave, tell him thanks. Um, anyway, so we're still here with Dave Pearson and a couple more questions for you, Dave. Tell me about the first time, about your first time in San Felipe. I hear there's a story tied to this. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm uh, first time, hadn't really experienced big truck whoops down there. Like a lot of people have told me about, like, you know, whoops are going to be really, really big. Be careful. The oh, San Felipe yeah, whoops. Yeah, San Felipe whoops. Yeah. Like, okay, you know, I've raced around Ensenada and, you know, raced that side of it. Haven't had an experience of San Felipe whoops. So... I get ready to leave San Felipe, I got, get my headphones in, put my helmet on, listen to music, you know, because a lot of the time when you pre-run down there, you're pre-running almost all day, so you wear headphones once in a while, listen to some music, take your iPod with you, whatever. And uh, so I got some music in, and I'm cruising down, you know, cruising down the whoops, the lips are getting a little bigger. Sitting down, being, standing up. I don't remember what I was doing. <laughs> I think I was sitting down, it's first... And then, yeah, the whoops started getting bigger and bigger. So pretty soon I was standing up. And this is the beginning, first day of my pre-run. And I had to pre-run for like five days for this dang race. So I'm cruising up the power line whoops. And all of a sudden, I hit a whoop sideways. And it shoots me off the trail. And then as soon as I shot off the trail, I hit a rock. And it just totally wipes out my front end and my high side. And it totally knocks the wind out of you. Well, as soon as, <laughs> as soon as it knocks the wind out of you, the last thing you want to do is listen, be listening to music loud. <laughs> so, here I am trying to catch my breath. <laughs> my camelbacks totally the the bladders splattered. I got water on my back. I got this music going on in my head. I'm trying to take my helmet off as quick as I can to take these dang headphones out of my ears. Because you can't breathe. Yeah, I can't breathe. I'm still trying to catch my breath. It was... Oh, that's funny. After that, we still pre-ran with music, but that was like... That was, that was one of the only times I ever pre-ran and knocked the wind out of myself with stupid head. What song was it you were listening to? I don't to? remember what song it was, but I remember I had music in my headphones, and it was the worst thing ever. You're trying to catch your breath. <laughs> uh, hit the pretty, beat. It was pretty gnarly. Oh, uh, that's funny. Um, well, uh, when you're on a bike and let's say you don't have music on or if you have music on, what are you thinking about? What, what's going through your head? Are you thinking about, are you concentrating on the course or does your mind wander? What do you think about? Um, your mind can wander once in a while, not necessarily during a, during a race, but pre-running your mind wanders, you know, you always... I don't know, you're always thinking about other sections that you've ridden and that you've pre-ran. For some reason, like when I was racing the 1,000 one year, I would have a dream every single night that a certain part of the course, I would always veer left and get and go down to this little village, then all of a sudden I was lost. <laughs> and like, no matter what I did, I would have this dream every single night. And then I'd pre-run my section, and I would have it all dialed in, and I would have the same dream. It's just... I don't, I don't know what the deal was there, but yeah, you'd have the same stupid dream. But most of the time, when you're on a bike, especially race day, 
man, you're zoned in. You're zoned in 110% on what you're doing, where the next ditch is, where the nasty rock was that you remembered when you were pre-running. You know, you, you usually I took notes and I'd kind of study my notes. All right, between mile marker, you know, blah, blah. Be really careful. There's some really nasty rocks that are going to end your day. <laughs> so, yeah, most of the time when you're when you're in the zone, you're in the zone on race day. Nice. Uh, who has been your biggest influence in racing or in life? Um, that's a tough question. You guys should have read me the questions before we started this. <laughs> um, you know, I kind of... Ah, that's a tough question. I would... Uh, Say Danny Hamill, I didn't know Danny really well. You know, Danny Hamill was my hero when I was a little kid growing up. Uh, then, uh, man, that's a tough question. <sighs> Probably, I, my biggest supporter was always my dad. No matter what race we were going to, whether it was Mexico or Washougal for a works race, no matter what race we were going to, my dad was always there at the race if he could be. You know, he was my biggest supporter throughout my whole racing career. Um, man, yeah, I'd say I'd say my dad. I'd say my dad. Uh, listening cool. to his Baja stories and be able to race Baja and experience the stuff that he experienced, you know, was was a pretty cool thing. You know, the stories that you would tell, mm -hmm. and then you now you're it's later on in your career and you're telling the stories to your kids. It's pretty cool, you yeah, know. There's a section cool. out of Baja where cactuses are lined up on both sides, and you're going through sand whoops. And the only thing there's big cactuses on both sides down down south. Mm. My dad, I remember my dad telling me stories about that mm. certain part of the race course. And when I was down there, I was able to race that section a couple times. And it's like, dude, that's that's cool. That, that's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. It is pretty cool that's to hear sweet. the old stories about the old days. The courses they raced are pretty much the same. A lot of the same stuff we still race. Yeah. And down down there in Baja, it seems like the there's a lot more uh, like grain in the soil down there, and it kind of heals faster than it does in Nevada. It seems like hmm. the Nevada desert has kind of like more silt. Poof. I would say poof. <laughs> and the whoops are bigger; they get bigger. And down in Baja, I don't know if they get more rain during the winter time or what, but it the courses kind of heal themselves. You go down there and race the course. Hmm. And you wouldn't believe that they raced there that same road for the last or 50 25, years. 50, 25 or 50 years, you know. Wow. When you go down Corn, corn Dog, you'll, you'll realize it. You'll <laughs> yeah. realize it. You'll be like, dang, man, this thing's not that bad. It's really yeah. not chopped up like the Nevada desert gets. Yeah. Hmm. So. Well, there's just something about it down there. It's just it's beautiful. and The scenery changes as you get down south, you know, further, but. Yeah. yeah, it's just something, it's not like anything. I mean, there's terrain here that reminds you of it, but there's just nothing quite like like Baja. Yeah. yeah. Um, real quick, if we can, I want to plug in the tip of the show. Okay. So, um, tip of the show is sponsored by Throw Me a Bone, and you can find them at theantlerchew.com. Find a, a, an antler chew for your dog. And the tip of the show, the moral of this 
the moral of the story here is when you go down to Baja, you need to be prepared. And I and and this goes not just for crossing the border, but being down there. Um, be prepared. Don't take any ammunition in your truck. Right? <laughs> Don't let your kid drive. Um, and if you have a problem down there, you need to handle that problem as quickly as possible. Because the longer the problem goes on, the more expensive it gets. But uh, having somebody in your corner while you're down there is huge. And uh, just being prepared, knowing, knowing the rules, going down and not trying to take a stab at you, Dave, but, um, but you are going to another country. It is, you know, it is different. And, um, so do your homework, be prepared, have a good time. It's awesome down there. We love it. Um, and you will too, if you're prepared. So that's the tip of the show. Nice. Totally different set of rules down there. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, um, Dave, you have anything else you want to throw out out of the blue? I think we've hit on a lot. It's been a great show. I don't want it to end. We, we could probably stay here for hours. Yeah, I en- I enjoyed last week's episode with Kellen on here. I was thinking, that's fun. Holy cow, Kellen's talking about that race. Yeah, I was there. You know, it's like it, it's pretty yeah. cool to be involved in the racing as much as both of us were, as as much as he still is. You know, he's talking about, he's telling little stories last weekend. It's like, dude, I was there at that race. I remember mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. He got second, I was third. I, you know, got the pictures at home to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was, a, it was a great racing career that I was able to have. And, you know, I was able to go to five different countries. I think we went to Spain, France, Czech Republic, Brazil, and New Zealand. Cool. And we were able to see a lot of the land and lot of different cultures and just really have a chance to see the world I mean Mm -hmm. without racing motorcycles we would have probably never gone to those countries for really any reason right you know we're not really worldwide travelers but I I mean I guess we are since we did six days but if it wasn't for motorcycles we wouldn't have been traveling the places we went to you know yeah we've covered a lot of the western United States racing motorcycles from New Mexico to Arizona to Washington you know racing these races, going around the whole Western United States, racing different series. And it was a, it was a fun, it was a fun thing to do. That's for sure. When you see parts of the state and the country that you otherwise would not have seen, I mean, by, you know, on two wheels. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. The two wheels can take you a lot of places. Yeah. It was a, I'll tell you a quick story. It was just the other day it happened. Um, so I built a little track in our backyard for my little boys. They have little Kawasaki 110 and a little Honda 50. Well, anyway, I have in the corner, I kind of pushed a, this has some tree roots and just junk, you know, kind of a junk pile. Not real big, but Titan and Oakley, my eight-year-old and six-year-old came in the other day and said, Titan got stuck on the junk pile. And I said, well, what happened? <laughs> and Oakley says, well, I dared him to try to climb up the junk pile on the 50, and he got stuck, so we had to go get shovels and unbury it and get it unstuck. And I thought to myself, man, this I must be doing something right. These dang kids are having a ball. Yeah. That's something that I would have been done was my, when I was a little kid, you know? Exactly. It's like passing on. There's something about passing on 
riding motorcycles with your kids is just, I don't know, it's, it's pretty awesome for me to be able to pass, pass it on. And, you know, if they want to race and hit this, start hitting ran races and race, yeah, we'll go do them. And if they don't want to, we'll do something they want to do, you know. It's, yep. Right, you can't force them to do. Yeah. Yeah. If they, if they, if they have it in their blood and they want to race, cool. And if not, that's all right. Let's play football or play basketball or something. You know, whatever you enjoy, let's do it. Yeah. So it's been pretty fun. I, I've, I've enjoyed the transition from racing motorcycles to, getting a real job and being able to spend more time with my family and my kids, and it's been fun. It's been really fun. Awesome. So. Anything hmm. else, Dave? Um, I think we covered it, unless we get in deep to another story. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Dave. We Appreciate really enjoyed it. having you. The listeners, hopefully, will enjoy it. I'm sure they will. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe we can have you come on in the future sometime and get some more Dave Pearson Dave part Pearson two. Stories. Yeah, that sounds good. We enjoyed it. And, and the little teaser, you might be back racing, so we'll have to, uh, <laughs> we'll have to, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned or keep an eye out for that and cheer you, cheer you on. Heck yeah. Yep. Yeah. We'll see if it, we'll see if it happens. It's uh, we did the race nine years ago, so next year will be the tenth year, ten year anniversary. anniversary. So yeah, we were kind of just we were throwing around the idea. It's nothing set in stone. Cool. Unless you see me getting a bike and start training, <laughs> and you're like, dang, it's on. I'm, I need a riding partner. So yeah, no kidding. let us know. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a good night. Thanks for having Uh, me. We are still working on a guest for our next episode. Uh, We have a couple uh, people in the works. And if it doesn't happen by next episode, maybe we'll uh, give an interview to our Eric Holt. See where Eric's from and what makes him tick. So... uh, Thanks for listening, and Dave, thanks again, and we will uh, see you all next week, next episode. Booyah. See ya. All right.